0: Welcome to the Talks podcast, a show about pharma and GMP. The pharmaceutical industry is a fascinating and complex field, and it takes countless people to bring a product to the market. In this podcast, we bring you some of the industry's brightest minds who will share their wisdom with you. You will learn about various subjects such as GMP, new trends in pharma, and leadership. This episode is sponsored by dot compliance, the industry's first ready-to-use quality management solution powered by the Salesforce platform. Deploying a new EQMS has never been quicker or more cost-effective. And now, please welcome your host, Jan Kugel.
1: Welcome to the Qualitex podcast. This episode is part of a series about CMOs I'm Jan Kugel, your host and the director at Qualistory, where we provide with engaging online GMP education, live, private sessions, and on demand. For more information, please visit www.qualistory.com. Joining me today is my co host is Amar Badawi, the CEO at PharmaOffer, a B2B platform for APIs. And our guest today is Felipe. Philippe is the head of business development at Glad Pharma and they are a CDMO based in Germany and we're gonna talk with him about what CMOs are, what are the different type of CMOs, CDMOs are there? What is Glad Pharma? What they are doing? Who they are serving? And what is the purpose of CDMOs and what is their future? So let's get to it. Felipe, welcome to the QualityX podcast. Today we have another special edition where Amar Badawi is joining me as the co host. And our topic is CDMOs. And with us, we have Felipe, who is head of business development, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. Thanks a lot for having
1: me here. Well, Welcome. Pleasure to have you here. So maybe you can give a bit of information about your role and what impact it has on a CDMO. So we will get soon into definitions, but maybe a bit about yourself, what's your passion in it and how you got to it and what's your role. Okay,
2: very glad to do so. So my role in the CDMO business part of Glatt Pharmaceutical Services is we are specialized in solid dosage form development and manufacturing, hell of a lot of development of complex solid dosage forms. And at the same time, we do clinical trials, supplies, organization, and distribution. So we keep, I would say, our services along the value chain of pharmaceutics. And this we do out of Germany and out of the United States. Interestingly, I came to this over my role in the sales of excipients because at the GLAD group where I work from, uh, they launched some excipients in the early 2000s. And I was one of the persons that brought them to the market. So I got familiar with the GLAD group. And uh, then they were looking for a business developer. So I joined in 2012. And since then, I have this role, which is Changing over time, of course. What is really nice and interesting as we serve not only big pharma, but a lot of small startup companies, spin offs of universities, we have access to highly interesting projects. And this is something that drives my motivation. Of course, different people, heterogeneous partners and value bringing projects to the patients in the end. So, and our patient groups, they go from very early child in her life Cycle up to the geriatric population, and including even the partners that we have in our lives, like dogs, cats, and other animals. So it's a wide spectrum and a very interesting field to work in.
3: Yeah, interesting. You said Glad is like a, it's a CMO, but you, you read a lot like CMO, CDMO, CRO. Yeah, please help me a bit. What are the different types of CMO? You have to divide a little bit in the faces
2: So us as a CDMO, we start when we go for a first galenical form. Beforehand, it's more the CRO business. So as long as we don't have any galenical form to develop, we don't enter it. But we follow then up from the early phase, galenical development, formulation development, process development, process optimization, formulation optimization, clinical trials material from uh, all the phases up then to commercial. And in many, many cases, we transfer then the product over to a manufacturer, to a CMO, or to the, to our partner. So, and in this world, you have different parts. As you mentioned and asked before, what is the difference? You have quite a bit of companies that are in these very early phases to really get the first basic formulations, to get into trials, to, to evaluate the drug further. And then it comes our part, which yeah, includes nearly everything, but on a very modular basis. And as I said, we are a little bit different than the traditional CMO because we do a lot of development and do also the manufacturing if it fits. And the traditional CMO would then more be the guys that do the large-scale manufacturing and do the development to drive this business. This changes a little bit over time, of course. There are many CMOs. They have also patented technologies for which they do the early from scratch development as well but i would say there is still this cd cdo and cmo space and some in the gray middle field and we are i would say we are some in the gray middle field
3: okay and once a client from you is going from your company to let's say a larger cmo yeah is that something to celebrate or
2: are you losing a customer there If we achieve this point, we have to celebrate because this means that we have done a successful development, which went already through some phases or is even pre-commercial or commercial. What we do in that case is a tech transfer that we fully support. If it goes to a CMO or the owner of the product himself, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a point to celebrate. And within the GLAD group, of course you can imagine we have this big advantage because we are the equipment manufacturer of the equipments we mainly use. So if we have done a development on a fluid bed equipment from GLAT that we use, the chances are pretty, pretty high that in the end, the CMO or any other uses a GLAT fluid bed again. So it's really time
1: to celebrate. How does a GLAT uh, set itself apart between uh, the niche of the CDMOs? So basically, do you think it basically because you manufacture the equipment and you are in the middle, so it means that you can take a company from the development phase to the medium scale up? before you give it to the commercialization?
3: I think it's
2: the whole that we can offer as a Glad group with specific expertise. We have even a division that uh, makes turnkey engineering. So it means we do greenfield setup of production plants. So literally, we can follow development project from a very early phase up to a plant production. So this is already something which is completely different to any other CDMO, CMO. Secondly, we have direct access on technology and process experts out of the Glad group. So we do not only run the equipment, we also have the latest know-how in this equipment. And thirdly, I would say it's the niche that we play in. Huh? Within the solid dosage forms, if you imagine this still, although everybody says different and it will change, we are still 70% of all the pharmaceutical products are in solid dosage forms. Okay. So Within this big bunch of business, we are very much focused on multi-particulates, on controlled release, on pellets, pellet technologies. And this is a niche. So there we have, I would say we have a a small niche that we play in, but surrounded with a lot of know-how and a lot of opportunities that we can service our customer either modular or as a full-fledged solution provider. And this is what, as a USP or as a, yeah,
1: in confrontation to others, this makes us unique. Who is your client, basically? What is the range of clients that you have?
2: The range of clients can be a startup company that has one compound, be it a successful spin off of a university, or sometimes, like uh, in the past, uh, some employees take substance that a big multinational does not want and they need the full service. To develop such product to have a concept that fits the purpose we have then mid-sized pharmaceutical companies but we also have the large multinationals
3: let's say that i am doing my research on a university and i found a very interesting molecule what is the moment that a cdmo comes in are you guys scouting on different universities or what's the moment that you contact these people i personally
2: have always an open exchange with academia universities because I think this is a big source of what is possible in the future. But it's not that we would go to scout what they develop. It's more like at a certain point of time when they say, who, this product or this compound, we want to move ahead with this. We need a dosage. We need a commercial product at a certain point of time or, of course, let's say do." feasibility trials then we would come into the into the game and usually we would be contacted by them perhaps they know us or they saw us at a conference or saw some of our technology in a webinar and uh, we keep the activities like this, we would not really go
3: to scout at university. But to develop medicine, you also need, of course, investments. That's usually where investors come in. Do they also play a role in choosing the right partner to further develop the product? For the
2: investors, you have two types of risks or at least two types that we can mention here. First of all is, does the substance bring the results, right? And then, of course, it is also with whom do you partner? And then there, it can be very much important for, let's say, the founder of this small company that is looking to get the money, that you have a valid consortium. So I think in the decision tree that an investor invests in such an opportunity, I think the CDMO and the reputation of a CDMO can play a role. Absolutely.
1: So it's more the venture capitalists and the investors are the ones who help choose the right CDMO or it is left to the company owner. How does it usually work?
2: To be honest, I'm not very sure about that. But based on the discussions we have, it's the company owner that looks for valid partners So he has better chances to find the investors.
1: So usually those people, they may have little experience in the pharmaceutical production. So they come from the university. So how should they choose the right uh, CDMO for their uh, purposes?
2: I think they should, first of all, use their network. Check, very openly check with the CDMO partner. Thoroughly check what experience there is. Is it the right partner? I often say... You have to find the smiles in the face of your partner. And you see it in in meetings. You see it even in a video call. If you ask certain questions, and especially the scientists, they start to smile or keep calm and you feel that they're comfortable. This gives, for me, much more of confidence level than any high lightning brochure what the capabilities are. Because once you ask, have you done something like this already? How comfortable do you feel with this project? And you feel hesitation. This gives a complete other picture than if somebody goes, yeah, feasible. But we need to consider A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And there, I think, an open communication with potential partner. Asking your network, have you experience? Have you experience with these people? Who would you go to? I think it's really like a, a small due diligence, which... Makes absolutely sense, not to exaggerate because you don't have time and budget. But I think in our industry, it's a lot of, how do you say, mouth by mouth propaganda of projects that people did with a CMO, CDMO. And then I think still it's very much important as every compound is different and every project has its different challenges that you really check yourself and feel comfortable. I always say to any of our partners, both of us, And I always say both of us have to feel comfortable because comfort level on both ends, it's important because in the end, in a successful project, you stick together for many, many years. We know exactly the development cycle. So not only, I say, the technical part, but also the way that you drive the business is important. So there are many aspects to it that, as you say, some unexperienced people might not yet be aware.
3: Is it important for you to to believe in the project or doesn't really matter as long as you can help them producing it. Very good question. I prefer projects that we believe in
2: because we're all people in the end. And projects that make sense in the heads of everybody, you feel another momentum in it potentially, right? And on the other hand, we are a service provider and we cannot judge a book by its cover. So sometimes it it could look very weird. I like the weird ones that some people say, how can this work? And um, they are successful in the end. So there is not one or one. I think it's the whole thing. And we do, but we also give out our estimation. So if somebody comes and says, look, I would like to have a formulation XYZ with attribute A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And we feel that this is critical, we would mention it at a very
0: early stage. Our customers set high expectations for their teams and need to be sure they perform to these expectations. Many companies struggle to find time to train their employees and often delegate this responsibility to a department that has not got the expertise to master the subject matter. As a result, they burden their team with the conventional training material, which can be so dull that they shut down. We invest time into helping our customers become GMP compliant in a fast and efficient manner to make sure their teams perform to the highest standards. We specialize in creating engaging training that will make your employees confident and motivated in using their new learned skills at the workplace. Visit us at www.qualistery.com Or contact us at service at qualistory.com for more information.
3: When you start the first conversations with
0: a new client or potential client,
3: yeah, of course, they talk about their product that they would like to develop. And then you probably share some some of your knowledge and and some ideas about how to improve the product. But how does the conversation continue from there? So
2: what we usually do, we need to have a deep understanding of what Partner the customer needs for his product, what is the aim, drug product profile? What is the surrounding? There is a big difference between like an OTC product to a prescription drug. What is the size of the population? Is it an orphan drug? Is it blockbuster-like? We try to understand this part in depth, of course, because we also need it to do. And from there on, once we have a good understanding what the customer needs. We would draft the so-called project plan, which is nothing else than a layout of all the activities we foresee at this very point. And there, it depends strongly on the customer again, to which extent he needs it. Some would go for a early feasibility and say, "No, no, we we do the feasibility and then we have a look further." Others, especially for budget reasons and for time reason, they would consider up to commercial scale. So we can then draft a plan that is. Uh, Something like 30 pages long with detailed layout of how many trials for what and how, and then stability and further tests, quality by design and the like. So it really depends on the needs of our customer and how in depth and how long in advance we drag this out. Can also be a topic of the budgeting, right? Yeah. Some companies, they need the full fledged budget. And of course, we provide this even with a preliminary time plan.
3: You have to do a lot of work before the first product comes out of the manufacturing plant. So I can imagine that it's quite difficult to compare different CMOs, which one fits best to your project, because yeah, they have to put a a lot of value before you can sign a contract. Or how does that work? Exactly.
2: This is the critical part of each and every start of a project. That's what I said beforehand. Uh, We try to be very transparent. In quite some details, what we plan to do. And sometimes people say, Oh, but this is this is really big. But once you go through it, once we send out this proposal, this very detailed proposal, we directly say, Let's, as soon as you had a look at it, let's have a call. And we go through the plan step by step by step. So we explain already at that very point of time, our customer, our partner, what is the logics behind. And then say, Ah, okay, but You know, by the way, we have this and this piece of information we have already. We have done this part of trials already. We can skip that. We have the information. So let's take an example. Compatibility studies, very much of importance. If you don't do them, you might have done one year of work and suddenly in stability, you see, oh, the compound does not like excipient A, B, C or whatever. So in a very first phase, sometimes we don't know if they have done these studies. So we put them in the plan. Then it comes out, oh no, but we have done the screening of 40 excipients, so that's none of an issue. So we can skip that. What is for us very much important is to have a detailed layout that later on you can go and say, ah, but we plan to do this, but we skipped it out of a specific reason. And you mentioned budget. In some cases, you know, I mentioned QBD, quality by design. So to really to get your design space and check critical process and product parameters. We would do it in a quite in an early phase in a lab scale. But some companies, due to their setup, they need fast movement to the first clinical. So we then would skip it together with the customer, but discuss the risk of changing or skipping the schedule. And I think this is, so to say, an integral part of how to launch a product. It's like building up a pyramid. The pyramid has a good solid base that takes some time potentially to build up, but then you go on faster, right? And this is what we try to do. So clear out the most things in a very early phase. And this is something also that we do in the in the early phases. We have, apart from business development, like me, that does no scientific background, we integrate our scientific team in a very early phase because I do not want to have the situation that somebody says, ah, the BD guy said he can granule this product. And two months down the road, and that's already time and money, the first scientific talk starts and says, we cannot granulate this. So you're absolutely right. Before we can start a project and before we can sign a contract, there is from both sides. So from the customer He needs to get familiar. He needs to check a lot. Is this the right partner? He's potentially in evaluation with at least three to five. I don't know. And then he has to make his scorecard and say, "Okay, I feel most comfortable with those guys. And at our end, it's the same until we have the contract signed and booked also slots and the like. We we don't know what happens, really. Of course, you get a good feeling and you reduce the unknowns, unknowns. But uh, yeah, it's a big investment before you really start together.
1: Both sides. And after you sign the contract, how much is the client then involved in uh, the design, the production? Do they always sit with you on the table or they leave everything to you?
2: It depends. So a lot of customers ask us gently, can we be present when you do the trials? And we say, we look at them and usually our answer would be, we would love that you are there. Okay, because you have to imagine the combination of knowledge is the client usually knows much more about his API or his compound. We know a little bit more about our process usually on the formulation and put together the two things. You have this learning curve and you can decide much faster because time is also of essence. So we like to have the customer as a integrated part of the project as we like to be an integrated part of the project. So in my opinion, it happens to collaborate very, very closely. In some cases, it can also be, look, uh, do the trials and nearly call me up when it's done with the results. This is very rarely because people need to understand
1: what we do. And with which regulations do you need to comply? Is it uh, still the GLP phase? Are you still in the GA or are you already phasing into the GMP window?
2: So we define the phases between technical trials and GMP. And uh, in the early phase where we are finding the formulation and the process and we do the prototypes and uh, decide which prototypes works best, which process works best, this is all on the technical. Although we are, in most of the cases, we are in our GMP facility, but we do technical trials in the GMP facility. And as soon as we go for the first clinical trial material, we would then be on the full GMP. So our site is inspected by the local authorities, by international authorities, by our customers. And this is, of course, then also when you are in a development in a very early phase already, you have your inspections or your audits by your customers. And interestingly enough, a lot of customers, they come like for a pre-inspection while you talk if you do the project. Because as I said before, it's, it's nice to have a nice brochure with the equipment and your capabilities. But I always say to the people, if you invest the money... To do services, you better have a look who are the people really and how is the site looking in real. And now for the Corona crisis period, what we have done is virtual tours, for instance. So, uh, I mean, it's not live, it's not face-to-face, but you can still see in a quite live environment how it looks like. So this is very much of importance, absolutely.
3: And how important is it that a CMO, CDMO is nearby? I mean, you have two plans, one in the United States and one in Germany. Can you also serve clients from, let's say, China or uh, or India? Absolutely. I mean, the focus is logical, is still quite local, but we have a lot of
2: international customers as well. But then you have always the time difference topics, of course. I think the people really tend to stay quite local or as local as possible. Because of these things, certainly before Corona, this was, this was the case. Nowadays, I think it changed a little bit. So people are more open to say, ah, oh, you know what? You do it over there, then let's make a video call. We can do that. We know now. So I think this could be kind of a change. Still, I don't believe that we adapt so fast in our mental behavior and that we prefer to drive half an hour, an hour, two hours, or instead of taking a plane, and being away one or two weeks, so.
1: Yeah. So from the regulatory point of view, right? So you said there is uh, sometimes somebody who is attached to the uh, CDMO, and we said there is the GMP window, and usually the company is responsible uh, compliant with the regulation. So how does it look like with the CDMO? Who carries this responsibility with the batch releases?
2: So for the batch release, it depends how the CMO, CDMO is set up. Usually you have an integrated QP release, but it can be with the setup that the customer says, for instance, if you are with a CMO that is doing the finished packaging, then it would be logical to have final QP release at the CDM, at the CMO. In our case, as we do a lot of intermediate granules or final tableting and, and only bulk, we have a second partner that does the packaging, for instance, and then very often it is the partner that does the QP release or the final packer. We offer this as a separate service as well nowadays. So there are different setups. If you ask for the mainstream, I would consider that, especially with the CMOs, the QP release would be with the CMO, especially with the large ones that do everything and otherwise it gives uh, there are different setups possible
1: and you said that uh, usually when uh, the drug is successful and it goes to the uh, full scale production then usually you have partners who are CMOs or uh, then the, the company goes to a full scale CMO and uh, how does it work uh, with the tech transfer, right? So you already have all your processes, right? So do you work together to transfer all the facilities or uh, the whole uh, shebang to the other uh, company? Or sometimes you say, oh, we don't work with them. Uh, sorry, uh, it's not a responsibility. So how does it look like?
2: Some of the products we manufacture ourselves in the end. So this is also increasing. But of course, tech transfer is fully supported by us. So Some customers, they come for us for just one process and they jump off again, which is perfectly fine. And uh, a tech transfer to another site, we don't care where it goes to. We prepare everything to support at the maximum to have a successful tech transfer. So there is no missing touch points there or things that we say, oh, no, we don't work with those guys. No, absolutely not. Full support is important to be successful.
1: And to build on Amar's question, right? So he asked if there are customers from China or India. So I presume probably not so much because it costs more to manufacture there because probably they have their own CDMOs. But the question is also to build on it. Do you feel that there is some escape of local customers to China and India right now? That they At least for the CDMO phase?
2: Mm, no, frankly spoken, no. And this has, uh, in my opinion, different reasons. First of all, perhaps we don't see it and don't realize it. So bad market intelligence, this can be one on my shoulders. But I also see there is a big difference still on the quality, quality expectations. So those countries are not yet seen as the quality leaders. And uh, I think this some first movers might do. I see some development popping up really from European companies, but in The big mass, I don't think that they already like to jump over too much. They might try. And um, then there is what I mentioned before, also nearby time differences, mentality. Mentality plays a big role. I mean, already in Europe, we have uh, so many different mentalities, but it's still a common ground, let's say. It's much easier to communicate within the European community. Although as a Swiss, I'm not within the community, but still I think I understand it, but then you have of course cultural differences already that can pop in it's just like saying something and understanding the same thing, okay so this might be I think it it will it will further evolve for sure because there is high quality in those countries if you look at South Korea as a CDMO market, which is on a very high level. Singapore is popping up. Uh, We have Indonesia. We have um, Vietnam also coming. So I think you also have to distinguish a little bit, and perhaps that's why I don't see it in which field. I see a lot of activities in the, I would call it, basic development, more easier environment or formulation and processes. There I see much bigger chances that things are already more in those countries. But I think for the more complex, for the more innovative things, the tendons or the chances that they stick in Europe are much bigger. I think we have to divide which stage we are and which complexity we are.
3: And do you think that, let's say, in the next 20 years, (laughs) what what will change in the industry or what should CMOs focus on from your perspective?
2: Good question into the crystal ball. I think in general, as the way that we develop products will change with artificial intelligence, with predictive development. There is a big challenge ahead of us also as CDMOs, because we have to think about why is somebody coming to a CMO, CDMO? There are different reasons. One is time. I don't have time and capacity. It's cheaper. Or it's at least as good or better than what I I can do myself, or I don't have the technology that I need. And there might be many, many others. So we have to really think what happens in the development space, in the manufacturing space. Now we have the first upcoming demands all the time. Can you develop continuously? You know, continuous manufacturing processes, they come more and more, still on a very low level, but they come more and more. So people start to ask, can you do the core processes? continuously. What can you help us there? Then, of course, I mentioned beforehand, 70% is still solid dosage forms. We have a lot of large molecules that are usually injected. People will tend to get all the bioproducts into oral. So also those challenges at the the other side. And now we had a big vaccination topic. How do you set yourself up to, I would say, rapid peaks, which is, uh, we have such a predictable industry, but with with what we learned over the last one and a half years how to get more flexible i don't like the word agile because it's used too many times but you know it's also important for a service provider to remain in this field and adapt very fast which again means sometimes going for risks so how fast do you adapt how how much front running can you do do you want to do how much uh, new technologies do you want to bring in And as I said, artificial intelligence, for me, it's one of the big topics that will come up and uh, will be potentially changing our environment, not only for CMOs and CDMOs, but um, the whole pharma industry.
1: So it means that... um Soon we will have much more feasible molecules that come to market. So right now it takes a lot of time to find the right one, right? So from the statistic, from ten thousand only one reaches uh, the market. So with AI, it uh, we will be able to find and pinpoint the right molecules much quicker, and it means that there will be much more potential drugs on the market. Uh, does it doesn't mean then that there is uh, soon there will be much more room for additional CMOs or current CDMOs. CMOs will need to grow.
2: Yeah, I think it strongly depends also how the mentality goes from outsourcing the make or buy decisions in the latest years. I mean, the wave of outsourcing was there and it does not seem to stop, but we can have a back wave that companies start to say, oh, we don't want to outsource any longer because we want to keep some more knowledge with us. At the moment, this trend is not there, but who knows? Huh? So. Who knows also how the collaborative models that we have now done over the last one and a half years will evolve for for the whole industry? Or do we go back to it's mine and I do that and I have this knowledge? Will the knowledge sharing be further increased? Will it stabilize? Will it go down? And how does this have an effect on on the outsourcing partners? So I think there are many questions up and running.
3: There is a thing a while ago that you could buy. Uh, a Ford car, you can choose any color you want as long as it's black, you know? I think it was white. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but but, black uh, is since then, a lot of things are more uh, customized. So yeah. you can choose any color, but, but also with all the things with that mobile app, apps measure, that you don't fit one person in a group anymore, but there's very much customized products. Do you think that will also work for medicines in the future? I mean, nowadays, and I'm
2: not an expert, but nowadays we talk more and more about individualized medicine. This will be a driver over upcoming years. It will be proven how you can apply this, but the technologies are there. This will come more and more. We understand more and more that I take a a stupid example, but a paracetamol 500 milligram is potentially valid for Amar, but not for Jan. Perhaps he needs 300. It's a very bad example, but... Just to say, this topic of personalized medicine and, and in this case, also, of course, this flexibility, this will have an impact on the market, in my opinion. Although, as I said, I'm not an expert. in I just look at it. I see a lot of scientific work going into it. It's also one of the reasons why 3D printing and other adaptive technologies are popping up. So, yeah, as I said, flexibility in
3: all ranges will I think, increase. So from the CDMO point of view, it is possible. So that would not be the issue, probably.
2: I, n- I don't think so. You know, there is always the question, do you have the technology to do, let's say, for instance, one tablet per person? The technology is there since years. The other part is then, what is the cost and the benefit of this? Does it make sense for a paracetamol to adapt the dosage? I don't think so. But for a highly targeted treatment that in any case is very costly, there it might make sense. Yes. So I think there will be also we have to divide a little bit between the OTC market more and uh, standard therapeutics where it potentially never will make sense to very targeted treatments. And here I'm going on thin ice with what I say, but yeah, technology is there. It has to evolve, right? And if you look at how other industries evolve, lately I saw an article, I think it was 1965 or 69, where somebody said, you will be able to walk around with your telephone. You will have a telephone in your hand outside, and you will be able to telefo- to call your friends. Imagine this okay. is not so many years ago, and what do we do now? And uh, these developments with all the regulations in the pharmaceutical and medtech industry, of course, they take longer, but... Things are moving, and the things are moving fast. I think
1: it's a good point. What Amar also means that, uh, right? So, with uh, personalized medicines, usually some genetic uh, manipulation of cells or uh, some specific antibodies to target specific cells of, of a specific person. So, is it really something that a CDMO? Can help with, or do you need really specialized uh, facilities uh, or really specialist crew? Because you cannot manufacture it probably in batches because it's uh, personalized, right?
2: I think if you call them CDMO or outsourcing partner, or it's done really by the originator, I think this is something that is not in the field of uh, mainstream CDMO. This will be a very specific topic.
1: So it will be another niche that will do.
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, like the mRNA. Technology which was built up over many, many years and since short time peaks up and all the CMOs are running after or the whole industry is running after. So I think the companies that had this um, early mover activities, they are now in the winning field.
1: So, Philip, thank you very much uh, for sharing uh, your knowledge and sharing your perspectives on uh, this fascinating industry. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Thanks a
2: lot of for having me here. It was very nice to
0: talk with you and interesting. Thanks for listening to the QualiTalks podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. If you want to learn more about GMP, please visit us at www.qualistory.com. Stay compliant and see you at the next one.